She's a mother, she's a fighter, hard worker, she's a beast Advocating for the mothers, call it mom, book a seat Ay, Make it happen, do whatever for her family Never doubt her, got the power, this is mom, book a seat Woo! And we're having some major, you know, difficulties over here with technology and uh, Facebook advancing its, uh, you know, things in the middle of a global pandemic. I'm going to need Facebook to chill real quick. <laughs> so how are you guys? Welcome to the Autism uh, Parent Town Hall. I would like to introduce two amazing Mombicate powerhouse, one here in the state of Massachusetts and another one all the way in Georgia. So Steph, I would like to introduce you. Please tell us a little bit about yourself. I also know that you're a candidate running for state rep. What, 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 what? Um, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll go to Lynn. Sounds great. I'm Stephanie Everett. I live in Lower Mills of Boston, Massachusetts. And I've, I've been here all my life. I am currently, as you said, a candidate for 12 Suffolk. I'm also an attorney. A mom, there's nine of these children, a very huge blended family um, with the youngest son coming in to live with us in 2014 and has um, some specific needs that need to be addressed at all times. Uh, proud mom of two kids graduating this year. One's graduating from O'Brien High School and another one's graduating from Penn State on Saturday, which is gonna be weird. Um, so I've, well, I'm an attorney, I've worked, um, in state politics for years prior to that. I was deputy chief of staff for a state senator, chief of staff to the Department of Transitional Assistance, worked on youth violence prevention, housing work. So in my law practice, I've kind of just carried that on. So I do criminal work as well as real estate law. That's me in a nutshell. Wow, that's awesome. Love it, love it, love it. See, who says that autism parents and parents of children who have unique challenges that we can't be out here doing the people's work, right? Yeah. So I love it because you kind of bring in a different narrative that's typically imposed on parents to have children with special needs. So I love that. We're going to talk more about that. Lynn, oh. hey girl, how are hey. you? <laughs> All the way from Georgia. Welcome to Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have to have a disclosure for my uh, Florida friends out there. I'm originally from Miami, Florida, but I've been um, an Atlanta resident for um, most of my career. And um, I am the mother of three and the grandmother of a new, I can't say new, but she's, she's a year and a half. And um, that's been so much fun. I've been a special educator for my whole life. Mm. Um, also the author of a book connections um, a journey of love and autism that I wrote after you know trying to figure this all out being in in the career and then having a child and those two worlds blending so so happy to be here I'm glad we got the technical stuff I think uh, we've all been dealing with that for the last month with all this um, yeah. school and telelife and <laughs> Seriously, it's been a hot mess. 
So, all right. So, I'm Jahida Lopez, the founder of Autism Sprinter, a mommy of two amazing, uniquely able little boys who, for the last two months, um, they work at mama's nerve, people. They work at mama's nerves. <laughs> and I'm praying to a whole lot of higher powers of the world. Let me tell you, I don't think I've ever, you know, have ever walked around my house every five minutes like, Lord, Heavenly Father, please, Lord, Heavenly Father. All I'm asking yeah. you, please keep me sane during these times because I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, I'm a principal, I'm an occupational therapist, I'm a speech therapist. And so, you know, right. that's where we are today. So I know one of the few things that um, I would like to talk about and, you know, what we've been observing in Autism Sprinter is that a lot of parents are feeling helpless. And I would love to know more about you guys in this global pandemic. What has been happening um, in the disruption of your children's services during this time. So I don't know who wants to start, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, tell me what, what's it been like, you know, not only are we surviving COVID, I think we're also surviving being parents of children with unique challenges. And what does that really look like for you guys during this time? I, I can go first. So for me, it's, it's looked like confusion. So, um, what I, I was laughing when you were talking about running around. I, I think I said this to you the other day. It's like my kids have found this unknown nerve that I didn't know exists and they keep touching it. <laughs> I'm gonna keep on this nerve because I feel like this is the nerve that really gets to mommy. Um, I've had to learn early on in this, we're in week eight right now, right? So I had to learn early on that I needed to accept my son's limitations and I needed to accept my own limitations. And I think that's been a savior, right? Like I cannot, and nor should I be expected to be a special ed provider, meaning I have a law degree and I've said this a million times, my law degree means nothing. It is a piece of paper compared to what we're going through right now. And my children's needs, especially my son's are great. So he had a reading specialist, an ABA specialist. He was in an inclusion classroom. I will say our house is an inclusion classroom because he's in it and we have children of different ages and different um, abilities and his abilities just require a lot more. So one of the things that I did know that I had to do early on with accepting myself is accepting how he actually motivates himself to learn. Um, so I would really front load him with all the things in Google Classroom that required me to sit side by side with him and explain things as soon as he got up, just because it was like, I have 50 other things to do and other kids that need my attention. What I found was that just brought on tears. He was upset. I was upset. My patience level. That's when we started to discover that nerve, um, and I realized that I was expecting him to be on my schedule. And that's not what he needs. This is a hard time for all of us. And I needed to understand that he has a schedule that has been completely uprooted. And anyone who has children with special needs knows you have to prepare your child for a change. It starts like months in advance. We went to Bahamas in December and I was talking to him about that in September. Like I have to prepare him. We're gonna be gone for this amount of time. This is where we're going to be staying. This is what we're going to be doing. 
when this hit, there was no pre-planning, pre-talking. So he got up every day as if he was going to school and yeah, no one else was getting to go up. Back to sleep. Like I'm going to go back to sleep. And that's another, we have a whole sleep issue going on as well, but it was going on prior to COVID. So um, what I know I have received, I'll say that is we are on Google Classroom. His teacher a few weeks ago started doing Wednesdays for an hour. This last week it switched over at one hour a week. This week he is now at an hour and a half. Mm. Um, and you saw my post, I was like very, I was happy that they are getting more FaceTime um, with their teachers and their friends. However, the half hour more is during the time that I let him do Go Noodle to get all of that energy out because he had class at 12 o'clock. So it was 10.30 to 11, let him go a little crazy. He did the two activities he loves doing in the morning. And now from 11 to 12, him and I are gonna duke it out over this area of learning he does not like, it's more literacy. And then he would go into his classroom, but he would actually be a lot smoother in transition because it's like, I got to have fun. I did what I wanted to do. Now I'm gonna give you a little bit more. So they moved it to this 10.30 time. Problem is now he doesn't have Go Noodle. He's just, and they reduced the work he was getting. That's the other thing. So all the stuff that they were giving him that actually provided some education for him for a lengthy part of the day has now been reduced because they introduced this extra half hour. It's very weird to me, but that's what they did. And he's been beyond out of control. So I have a question for you. And then after this, I would love Lynn to kind of tell us more because she's in the SPED field, yes. right? So in this process, has your child's district, your special education director, coordinator of your child's school, any of the service providers who are providing a service to your child, have they ever called you and say, hey, Miss Everett, you know, these are the things that we're thinking about and kind of putting, you know, SPED into full gear. Did they invite you to the conversation for you to kind of be part of what this, you know, pandemic was going to look like for special education students? No. So I think this is the, the I'm not think I know that this is the problem is that we, when you don't have someone who's dealing with these issues in their own home at the table, mm -hmm. they, I don't think it's malicious, but it can be overlooked easier, right? So it's like, okay, we're gonna move everyone home. And I have said, I'm okay with, obviously I don't want my child to get sick or my household to get sick. So I'm okay with you moving things home. I would have preferred, especially for him, even just a manual or a schedule of how they um, work through the day what they did, like, you know, this is the time that he struggles. So you're gonna have to do, you know, this is how we readjust him. His principal, I will say, because I did have a complete meltdown in the beginning, his principal <laughs> came over and brought him um, the weighted vest, some um, noise buffers and headphones, which was great because those are things that I just don't have in my home, but they were good for him. I have the regular AirPods, but you know, that just gives him, he also has ADHD, you know, ADHD really bad. So this is, like something to play with more than it is to listen to what he's supposed to be listening to. I did get the, his reading specialist reached out to tell me how much she missed them and it said if I needed anything to let her know, but I would have preferred just to get information on what I needed to do. Um, she's his 1030 now. So he used to get one-on-one, -on -one, but now there's three students in this Zoom with him um, that started on Monday. So it's still not really one-on-one -on -one, um, anymore. 
And then um, he has his class from 12 to one. So his teacher, the principal and the specialist, I should say his ABA specialist, this is the, the problem, this is a huge problem. He, his ABA was put on his IEP last year at a previous school, but the um, ABA services were for the first grade teacher because the district put him in a general classroom. And obviously, he can't function in a general classroom. And so the ABA services were basically directed at how we're going to help this teacher help this child. Yeah. I don't know just because I'm still new to IEPs and, you know, I have no idea until March 11th. So the mayor of Boston said on May, March 13th that the schools were going to close. March 11th, we had our annual IEP review. And it's at that meeting that I discover that he has not been getting ABA services the entire time. Ooh, we're gonna talk about this one. We're gonna talk <laughs> so, about this one because I have a I have a story to tell about my experiences, my experience here in in my in Randolph when I moved from Boston to Randolph, which was like a whole different yeah. culture shock in terms of services. So, Lynn, as a special education teacher, can you tell us a little bit of like what you're doing? in this pandemic to support your parents? Because I think at this point, it's a parent yes. who need more help than the kids, yeah, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And, and it definitely, I guess, you know, it depends on on your state and your systems. And, you know, um, even, even here, you know, every school is different, but there were some general overlying things that, you know, everyone had to do. Um, like I was telling you before, we were in our classroom happily teaching we heard about one case, school was closed and we thought, okay, this will be a few days and we'll be back. And then we, I took a couple things home thinking that, um, you know, I could get into the parents or something like that. And then, you know, this happened. So we've been out and we had one or two opportunities to go back and um, get things for the classroom, but you, you can't take your whole classroom. So we were trained a little bit, like one day in, in teletherapy, how we would do this. So my first, and let me clarify, I teach special needs pre-K. So mm -hmm. three, four, and five-year-olds mm -hmm. and very worried mommies. <laughs> starting on this journey. <laughs> I, no, don't, bless me. I love my job so much. I mean, I really, I have it's so fun. It's a fun bunch though. It's a fun, it's a fun group, but we had, we had you know, quite a few in there. So mm -hmm. first and foremost was keeping our kids safe, all the students safe, you know, that went out to the parents and, you know, let's see how we're dealing with this. What is it? You know, we didn't know in the beginning. As that has metamorphosed, it has morphed, um, we started doing the morning circle time, which kind of built in back the same routine. We are doing it every morning. So my babies wake up a little bit later. They're not on a bus, but they see my face. They see my two assistants face. We sing the good morning song. And parents have reported to me that that's really helped them to have that routine because they can get on YouTube as well. But I'm the one that's saying, okay, I need you listening, you know, and I'm giving the signals. I'm saying, you know, eyes are looking, ears are listening. And they'll, they're like, wait a minute, she's here. She means business. That's my teacher. And so that's been really great to see that I actually have some effect over the screen. <laughs> So um, that's been really good. But I, I'm also at home with my own 20-year-old, just turned 20-year-old with autism. And although I'm a special ed teacher and I've actually taught um, most of the grades through my career, I'm working. I'm working 
like anyone else is working. I'm on my computer at seven in the morning. My phone is going off. My iPad's going off. We're on teams. I'm on like, you know, four different teams. I'm checking in on them. And so the first couple of days I was having a little um, leeway with my daughter. I'm like, well, let her sleep. Like it's a Saturday and I'll, I'll deal with her when she wakes up. Well, of course she'd wake up right in the middle of a meeting. I'm, you know, and I'm trying to do something. So I'd have to go downstairs and get her breakfast and get all that stuff going. It has taken me and I am in the field. So I want you moms to give yourself a pat on the back and a little breath of fresh air. Um, it's taken me weeks to get this organized on both levels, get her level ready, her, um, do her teleconferences with her classroom. Again, especially with our children on the spectrum, they, they don't really want to look at a screen unless it's something that entertains them. How's Georgia doing with offering special education services to their students? It, have you seen a, like a disruption in services? No, no, we have not. We have our um, occupational therapists, our speech therapists. In the beginning, what we offered were uh, choice boards for because we did have the inequity of families not having devices, mm. um, whether parents were working, whether a caretaker was watching them. So we first of all handled that as many as could, especially at the high school, middle school, upper elementary school would have a device in their hands come by the school. That was taken care of quite quickly. Um, after that, if they did not want to do, like, you know, a lot of our families are sharing devices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everyone can be on the device at the same time. And of course, everyone has their morning meeting at the same time, whether you're pre-K or third grade or so I think they worked out some of those logistics and um, then the speech and the OT and the PT started setting up individual sessions so I think that's you know the way it looks is really good it's it's our best effort I think now is it the same as therapy when you're in the room with the child of course not yeah you know but it is something that we can offer, you know, during this time. So yeah, I'm very, you know, I'm with Fulton County Schools and I'm, I'm very impressed with the way we've done it. But we've also had leadership that said, take care of your family first, take care of your health first. Um, you know, in, in service, uh, you know, like nurses and policemen and doctors and teachers, we're all about everyone else before our own families. And, and I think we were given a little bit of um, confidence in that saying, take care of yourself as well. Good. And that's a good kind of segue to, especially when we're talking about the remote learning, virtual learning and having access to technology. So in this era, right, as we were kind of, you were touching upon that a lot of our kids who have unique challenges are so used to receiving their services by physical body, by like a person who's there, who's giving them them tool, the tools. How do you feel and kind of bringing it into Stephanie to kind of tell us, do you feel that that's working? Do you see that the kids are engaging? Is it taking a little bit more time to kind of engage them? Like what, what can you share about your experiences in that department? Um, it's Mason's totally is my son. So what I've what I've noticed, so today, if I just went off today, he was off the rails today. Right. So he's in class, they're talking, he's facing someplace else. 
we took our dining room away and made it a family room because it actually gives him more space to just let go of energy. Um, so he's like turned around, he's looking for his sister, he's looking for me, he's singing, he has his headphones on, but the teacher has him muted. So she doesn't hear that he's not really paying attention because she has this screen with like 10, 15 other kids on it and she's not zeroing in. So I think that he has learned, he's seven years old. I kept him back in the first grade last year just because he didn't get all the services he needed. Yeah. So I think that he retains some things, but then it goes away. So he his regression is very quick. So when mm -hmm. he switched his schedule on Monday, it was full of tears. It was, I can't, his biggest phrase is, I don't know. And it could be simple as what's your last name? I don't know. Everything is, I don't know. And we, I know that now I know after eight weeks that I don't know is really, it's not that I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. Something's off. I'm too young to say what it is. Figure it out as an adult. His reading specialist started, we didn't start it yesterday. So the small group started, say Wednesday or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So it started on Monday. Today's Tuesday, right? So it's, <laughs> I can't. No, today's it. Wednesday, girl. It's Wednesday. Today, mi gente, mi gente, today is Wednesday, May 6. And we are still actually in the year of 2020. Okay. Um, but he had a, um, so he started his, he must've started it yesterday and mm -hmm. it went for not 30. It didn't go for 30 minutes because the teacher had technical difficulties. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have it again till tomorrow, but it, like I said, it took away something. So it's a, it's, I don't know how it's effective it is. Um, ABA started at home because they're not in school. So he is getting ABA. Um, the problem is, is that one is starting at home. So they're not going to get to see him. Kids are different at home than they are at school. Yeah. And there's a lot of things that are similar with my son at school and at home. Um, so if he gets in trouble, he shuts down. He sees right through you. There is no talking. There's nothing you can do that's going to make him talk. Um, so that's similar at school, but at home, it's like, I have my tablet here, my family's here. I yeah. think that's also, it's just a different environment. So mm -hmm. I'm curious how that's going to work. So he had his first observation today from mm -hmm. 10.30 to 11.30. So we'll see what that looks like, but I don't know if she really got, I put him on Go Noodle because I thought he was going to be on his 10.30 class and I didn't realize it was not going to be every day. So <laughs> He will be on it tomorrow, but so she missed it. And so she won't be able to see his interaction with a teacher or with peers. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know how that's going to look. So he hasn't honestly had those services from school brought into my home completely yet. As mm -hmm. for his therapy, that he had a therapy through outside, like I had it set up so he hasn't honestly, every week. He now goes through Zoom for his therapy. His mm -hmm. therapist is, I think he's getting more comfortable with his therapist, not so much. He just started in December. So I think the therapist has heard a lot of the I don't knows. I told him on day one that I don't knows are going to drive you insane. Like it's <laughs> simple things and it's I don't know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yes. And so he's starting to do that a lot more. Um, he's actually come out of his classroom because he will click out of Zoom. He, his hands have to move. So I've given him a paper clip so that he can like fiddle with something while he's there, but still be focused. It doesn't matter. I've seen that paper 
clip fly across the room. He's addicted to this. His impulses are like, I need to touch this laptop. I need to touch the mouse. He just has to touch. So he's, yeah, he, his ability to focus um, for an hour is extremely hard, especially because in class, when you have a child, he has global developmental delays. So for him, he's allowed to get up and walk. And when he's on this class, he can't get up and walk. So my, I have a new, like I said, we just did the room over. So we have bar stools um, and a floating desk. One of the bar stools he sits on all the time is now about, it looks like it's going to break. It's only a couple of months old because all he does is do this. And you it's know what the funny feet. part is? The funny part is that literally I would say the third weekend, the amount of bathroom breaks, I'm like, listen, how, how, many, how many times are you going to go to the bathroom? Is this what you're right. doing to the teacher in school? Well, that's what he did do in school. He would leave and go to the bathroom. Last year, his teachers didn't walk my home completely yet. I'm sorry. I'm trying to watch the comments coming in, but I'm trying to do the sound. You know what, Lynn? Kind of going to you, right? Because I think that Stephanie has hit on a lot of good points. And you're wearing the different hat where you are actually not only just an autism mom, but you're also an educator. Like yeah. when you're hearing her and you're hearing her as a mom kind of express her experience, you know, what, what, what oh, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling both your pains and I'm also trying not to jump in and give strategies with the, I don't know, we no, need, we need, to, a, we need tell a, all this therapist, well, give, that give strategies. We, we, we need cho just cho choices, like instead of, you know, I don't know, well, do you think it's this or do you think it's that? Mm -hmm. Every single time he needs to have a choice um, for this and so that he can get out of that, that I don't know, it's just an escape behavior and he may not be able to recall it right away. He might need processing time. Yep. So that is, you know, it's okay. He's saying that for a reason, but we can, we can modify that behavior. I'll be up next week <laughs> so all right so i have kind of you know we talked about the difference of you know in-person services versus you know remote learning um it's different um i want to talk a little bit more like let's get a little bit personal in a sense of what does this really what has this COVID-19 really exposed not only in the special education world and in the, you know, services of servicing those with unique challenges and, you know, education and services. What does that really look like? What, what do you guys feel like this pandemic has kind of showed us and things that we need to kind of work on to better improve what's been happening? Because I know what I'm seeing is like one of the biggest things that was very alarming for me was that when all this happened, and I get it, we're, we're totally in a global pandemic. I mean, to me, the most priority, my priority, my household is our mental health. It's making sure that those little boys are smiling, they're still running, they're still happy, you know, happy. That's my focus, literally. Um, but at the same time, like it was very disheartening that the first thing that came out of the, you know, U.S. Department of Education is special needs kids are not entitled to anything. And we're like, wait, right. what's going on here? Right. And that kind of sounded the alarm, right? Um, and so you've had 
parents just like losing their marbles and I'm literally one of them and I and I feel like my emotions have been like this like at one minute I'm like dude I get it get to teach us I get then another part is like hold up wait a minute like what's going on here can you kind of you guys talk about it both you know you as a mom with a child with an older child a 20 year old with autism and also a special education educator what that what 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 has that looked like for you well, you know, a lot of times um, we, we can get very scared of what's going to not be happening for a child, for services they lose. We go through that privately all the time with parents not covering therapies and you make decisions based on money, whether you go for the music therapy that your child loves, but you can no longer afford out of pocket and these decisions along the way. Um, so interesting because um, this is definitely not um, about you know pushing my book. But when I wrote my book, one of the things I said that I had to come to terms was when a teacher who's a very good friend of mine now um, told me that the things you want in the school system you need to get in the community. Well, 20 years ago we didn't have that in the community. Mm-hmm. Anything in the community. So that was so offensive to me, and I'm talking about a four-year-old. And so your four-year-old cannot participate in this in school because Mm -hmm. he needs to have in this fictitious world in the community. Well, that has changed. But at the time, I had to seek out, um, we actually had adaptive Girl Scouts and we had, I put her on the swim team with her sisters. And although it, it just, it looked real, but it wasn't real. I mean, she would just like to sit under the tent and have a snack with the other kids, but child that could swim perfectly well with me on the weekend would just freeze or not jump in the pool or not swim and but these were all learning things and I think the same thing's happening now with with COVID is that I'm home with my child and I know what she knew at six years old and eight years old and 10 years old but I have not been her teacher for a very you know since I was her mom and early therapist in the beginning with ABA and everything else and I'm doing some homework with her and she's not performing at all, things that I know she should know. And my heart is breaking. Mm-hmm. I'm, am I accountable? Is the teacher accountable? Is the school system accountable? Yeah. At the end of the day, my child needs to know these things. Mm-hmm. Really the one that's gonna make sure this happens. Of course, we wanna hold our teachers accountable. And I will be having a conversation, you know, the next meeting with school resumes and saying, look, this is what I noticed. She used to be able to do this and she can't, or she's not anymore. In the meantime, you know, off hours, I'm researching a better curriculum. I'm on Amazon ordering sentence structure games and we're now learning Monopoly and Scrabble, (laughs) you know, and all these things that I say to parents that are great things to do. I may not be doing them all right now. I'm trying to do most of them, but I'm actually, I'm at least purchasing them to get ready. That's right. That's right. Well, Stephanie, how about you? Like, what what have you noticed in this pandemic that's been different? You know, it's kind of like what Lynn said. Lynn kind of touched upon one of the biggest things that I think a lot of parents are talking about. And I just kind of want to be clear that I think that what happens, because I've also worked in a public school system and I'm also a parent. And I also, I've learned that when parents speak from a place of frustration, and some people may see it complaining. I kind of see a parent who's actually crying out for help. 
They may not have the, the language that some of us who work in this space, who understand systems, um, that we've adapted to that language. But I, what I've noticed is that there's this like big debate and you see it on Facebook all the time where like the teacher versus parents, a parent. And I think that we're getting caught up in this like, you know, uh, debate that has kind of taken us so much farther away from what the issue really is. Um, and it kind of goes boiled down to equity. Um, and so Stephanie, you, can you talk a little bit about what you, what you've seen and you know, what your experiences have been around what we, we, we've been talking about, like access and the resources and do they translate, you know, what your, what your IEP said about what your son can do. Can he actually really do now that you're like full-time, you know, teacher, do you see that? Like, let, let's talk about that. So I, I, like Len went through, like, is it the teacher? Is it me? What am I missing? Right. So I went through this. Um, I think as parents with children with special needs, we spend 99% of our time advocating for our child that mm -hmm. when they go to school and you like you've advocated for so long last year when he first got his IEP, I was at that school in an IEP meeting monthly, just trying to figure out what he needed. He had gotten his diagnosis at Children's Hospital and then we needed to do the IEP. There was all these things that just did not happen. So I was there every month, right? So what I didn't do was sit in his classroom at all last year to mm -hmm. find out anything. And then, so when this happened, it was like, I'm so used to, do you have this service in place? Is he getting to school? I'm, I was talking to the teacher on a regular basis. I don't know any special ed um, parent who does not have constant communication with their teachers just because you kind of have to, right? Because right. they can't come home with something, you know, upset about something or they'll go to school that way. There's a change in medication. We're constantly having these conversations. And I felt like, oh my God, I didn't sit in his classroom to learn how he learned, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the thing that I needed to accept that mm -hmm. was not me. And I don't, one, Lynn, I should have said happy teacher appreciation week. I Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think all of our teachers are just as lost as we are with this pandemic and we're trying to do what we need to do. I'm very solution focused. I can spend all day telling you all the problems in my house, but I rather really start identifying things that we can actually touch and change, right? So Right now we have, so you're, Lynn, you're inside of Georgia. You all are done this month. We're not done until June. So yeah, we, yeah. we're, we're finishing the 22nd. Yeah, so we finished, I don't even know what day they're gonna end this in June, but it's June. Mm -hmm. So when school ends for the children, between now and when school ends, I've been struggling because I know when I had his IP meeting in March that he was still testing at a K-2 level, even though he was in his second year of first grade. So that mm -hmm. was part of my concern. Um, everyone's trying to figure it out. I've right. talked about, um, we've had this conversation, uh, on, on different programs about how we bring these children back to school. Because as I said, for my son, he can't just show up on September 1st after spending six months in the house. It's not gonna work. He's gonna have complete meltdowns. He's not going to talk to anyone. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's just going to be a mess. So, you know, I've talked about possibly having an assessment, not a test, an assessment done in July, just mm -hmm. to see where all the kids are at, especially the kids that are at risk 
those who were failing or those who have special needs, just so we can start as a community, as a school community, figuring out what we're going to have to do with this child come the fall, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. for my son, I've talked about maybe starting school in August to give him a month before the rest of the kids come back in, the teacher gets to know him one-on-one -on -one or group, a small mm -hmm. group setting so that they know exactly what they're getting in for and how to redirect him because he's a runner. Like mm -hmm. I said, mm -hmm. completely, when, we, when he first moved in here, he was nonverbal. Uh, we have a blended family. So six of our eight children were living here and they were teaching him sign language. And I questioned whether he needed to learn sign language or he was just refusing to talk. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of a mixture of both. And I was like, there's no way I can teach six kids and my husband and myself sign language and be effective for him. So he, it took him a while. I always have to remind myself, he really just started speaking two years ago, only seven. Um, he didn't have a vocabulary that people really understood. So he would, he reverts back real easily to not. Mm -hmm. So whenever sure. the situation is unsure, feels unsafe to him, it's just, I'm not going to talk. So I think in a month for a lot of children, a lot of our children have that same type of experience. The change is too much. And so plopping mm -hmm. them in in August, it's not really a plop in, it's half a day. Then you move them up to a full day, but they're getting to know each the teacher, the schoolroom, mm -hmm. everything that's new because they're supposed to move our kids up to the next grade. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. the supports that are on his IEP right now may be vastly different, even though he's not scheduled to do an, you know, another review till next March, he's probably mm -hmm. gonna need to get reviewed in late August before the other kids come back so that the, all these specialists are in place and ready to go. So I really, what I think we have learned so far is that planning is something that has to be done, right? Like, so we have to, um, my girlfriend gave me a book that I started reading, I, sorry, I can't remember the name, but the woman basically defined who she was and how, like, she's like, we're always in a business of doing. We're always doing, like I said, going to um, school meetings, talking to someone, but it was like defining who the person is that's doing. So I like read that book and I was like, I feel like I'm hope's plan, right? Like, so we hope for the, the best, but we plan for the worst, right? And, yes. that's, and so I kind of dubbed myself hope's plan. So when we are hoping for the kids to be okay, in September, we actually should be planning for them to be okay in September. And children with special needs cannot be a hope. It has to be a solid plan on how to transition them back in because the regression is not going to be the regression that children in regular ed may feel. Not that they won't have regression, but it won't mm -hmm. be as substantial as it is for our kids who have special needs who, I mean, there's a few things. One, there's an assumption that parents can educate. Like I said, my law degree means nothing. I have no experience <laughs> in educating a child with special needs. None. Like, yeah, no, I, I hear the frustration. It's it's real. And and I think asking our parents who are in all kinds of different fields to become teachers is is like asking me to be, you know, a, a heart surgeon now. You know, yeah. it's like love to help you out, family member, but <laughs> I totally understand. Um I will say that, you know, you're absolutely right that it'll not be the same in the fall. You'll, you'll be looking at baselines starting from the beginning. But in the meantime, um, for all of our families out there, 
what I'm learning, like I said, even with my own, like letting her sleep in and then trying to make up for it in the evening hours, you know, which is, it's not what I want to be doing. I don't want to be teaching 15 hours a day you know, yeah. um, <laughs> to my own or anyone. And, you know, just building in that structure, knowing that at this time we have, we have time, we have a little bit more time than we've ever had before at home. What do we do with that time? You know, the structure of more outdoor time for his sensory needs. Yeah. Perfect. Let him walk on a tree log, you know, play in the water more, especially when summer comes. I mean, our summers, you know, like I said, I've been teaching forever. And when I first started teaching, um, we had three months off. You know, now we barely have two. It gets going earlier every year. We have been given this gift of time now. And for, for some of us that will have this time, I know a lot of our parents will be working. They'll be working in the restaurant business. They'll be working in all kinds of other businesses where they won't have this time. So I, I don't mean to make too much of a generalization, but it's okay for them to miss out on that school time as long as we make up for it with academics, yeah. side exercise, the sensory, the rest, the creative component, the music, you know, adding all those things. And it might be, six o'clock at night while you're cooking dinner, everyone's having a dance party. You know, that's the thing that you build in, but you do it every day or you do it Monday, Wednesday, and Friday and you put it on a calendar. And I'm not saying just for your family, I'm saying general tips, you know, for other, and, and I find the same, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not doing it yet. I'm building it. I, I, that's a great idea, Lynn, and how do I make that happen? You know, I, I keep some of her curriculum on the dining room table. Whenever she's getting a little fussy, I'm like, hey, let's sit down and do some, some work. And she hates it. She'll figure it out soon. <laughs> but just so you don't feel so bad that they're missing that time, you know, that academic. Yeah, I don't, what I've done, I did definitely have let him, we have, we have a trampoline in the backyard, which is great for him. Yes, um, I have one too. They're wonderful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we should have a trampoline. <laughs> we have turned into we have recess in our house I was talking to someone today I was like I'm sorry yes. recess is wrapping up <laughs> like so we definitely have recess yesterday we had a type in competition with the family um mm -hmm. part of his instruction is like this typing club and he keeps typing with his two fingers and I'm trying to show him how the home keys and so I love so it had this huge argument about the typing like I'm typing wrong he's, he was watching some video and was like I think from my age you're teaching me wrong and this is not what I'm <laughs> even though the program tells him to do this um, <laughs> he's had these high level conversations with me so I was like okay then we're gonna have a competition you think I type too slow let's see what happens so all of his siblings got in on it and of course I won I was like I used to be a secretary I could type you know <laughs> fast so um but we do I try to have that fun time mixed in um, yeah. when I know that he is stressing out when I can see like one of the things that I I fear the most as a parent um, and as someone who's running for office so I fear for it for my community is creating kids at his age at seven who just resent school yes like, so if I that's the reason why I had to learn to accept who I was and who he was and and really get him to start to do things he likes so and then obviously this is not going to be regular school when he goes back but he loves math and it's this math program. He gets to be independent. It gives him this big self-esteem. And so I, you know, do it, have at it. Not a problem. Absolutely. And so that- With all kids, with all kids, it should yeah. be what they love. If they follow their passion, just like when we find 
a career that we love. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like this is who I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And there's, that's no different for a four-year-old or a seven-year-old. They need to feel like that's their place as well. Yeah, and so that's what I, I focused on. I focused on making sure that he just, we're all feeling a trauma, right? Like if we, if we had to label this, it's the biggest label you could put everyone in eighth is trauma. It's the mm -hmm. trauma of a lot of things. We have, we all have someone we know who's passing from COVID or someone who's gotten sick from COVID. Um, people who have lost their jobs, those who have transitioned to working at home and trying, whether you have kids or not, there's just this trauma filled with the unknown of COVID-19. And our children are too young to really articulate what that is. They know that they went from being with their friends, running around with their friends and having fun to now being underneath their mother or their father all day long, which is all hard day. because I know that there's things that at school, they would probably do a lot different, but mom doesn't know how to teach that. And so I have to balance as I'm teaching him, if mom is teaching him or if teacher is teaching him, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, there are times where I'm going to push him a little bit more and I find like that's mom pushing you, right? Teacher mm -hmm. probably would have said, you're fine, go, but I like, I do self-reflection and, you know, I want to get back to your question. I think one of the things that we had to find is that we found that we had more knowledge than what we thought we had. Yeah, I think yeah. we found that we have more patience. I want to make sure that we have positivity out there, right? Like there are some things that we are killing it. We, you know, my kids are still breathing. That's awesome. Good job. Not run away, right? I didn't run away. That's, you know, it's, they're not, and, and, and not that I would hurt them not breathing, but like, they're not suffocated by mommy being on them and trying to be mom, right? right? They're still, Mason's actually in the family, he just came over to the family room. So there are things that we are doing well. Transitioning mm -hmm. your whole entire life here. I work for myself, so I'm used to being at home, working mm -hmm. Now I have to write one sentence and go help another child do something or help. So the things are getting longer, but I'm happy when I get them done. And as far as like waking up in the morning, this is the one thing I do do with my kids just because he needs the structure. And I realize that my nine-year-old needs the structure too. Mm -hmm. Every morning, all of us get up and get dressed. So yeah, that's good. Early, we still get up and we get fully dressed and you make your bed. This, that's the routine I don't want them to lose. Because it's a great, it's a great structure, a great tip for them. And it helps them to get in and it starts their day in the right way. Well, and he wears a uniform to school. So now he can wear his regular clothes. And so uh -huh. he's on his clothes and he feels good. You know, what he picked out for himself. That was like one of the reward systems that we had built in before of trying to get him to do certain things that we had therapy at his daycare was like rewarding him. And his only reward he ever wanted was I want to pull up my own clothes. He was like four or five. <laughs> I want to dress myself. The small things. So now he gets to dress himself every day. So, you know, just trying to give him that positivity, telling him every morning how good he looks. I'm so proud that, you know, he, no one has matching socks. I don't know where they're at. Don't want to look for them. Yeah. But I'm happy that he has on clothes. His clothes are on the right way. Nothing's backwards. Um, and so those little things I'm celebrating. So I think if, you know, there's a lot of inequities that happened during this time from the laptops to um, believing that a child with special needs can follow along the classroom with everybody else. There's a lot of things, but I think that this is an opportunity where we can actually look at the things that went well, look at the things that went wrong and start working on if this were to happen again, what are we going right. to do? We have those systems in place. Um, I was saying to someone else, I wouldn't even be upset if 
you know, once a week if the school started an hour or so later, just so the kids can go back on a Zoom and learn it so that mm -hmm. they still get comfortable, that they remain comfortable with using technology mm -hmm. and being present this way. So if it were to happen again, I mean, there's this fear right. that they go back and then they'll have to close it again. But so if we don't lose that, it's easier for them to transition into. So I, I think that this is a great time for us to really find the holes and come up with solutions. And the ones that are really gonna be great at coming up with solutions are those who actually have to deal with it every day. There's no guesswork to it. We can tell right. you exactly what works and what doesn't work. Well, you know, and I, and I can tell you that, um, you know, this is definitely our new normal that for a while, we don't know what, how long this is our new normal, but we hear that a lot through social media and the commercials and stuff. So I think as a society, we're getting ready for reinventing our lives as we knew it and, and maybe taking some of the good things. I know with, with my daughter, with Bree, that um, we're cooking more. You know, I found that we have Publix down here and, and they have a great pizza dough and I have it delivered to my house. I, it, at late at night, I'm there with my phone doing my grocery order and the next day it's delivered to me. So I think I may love that forever. <laughs> That's been great. But, you know, we've been rolling out the dough and the first day, you know, we took pictures and I sent it to our teacher that, now I'm the home economics teacher. Um, this is what we did. And she would use things like, um, you know, Elmo's magic cookbook. She knows that with pizza, you make the dough and you make the, put the sauce and she would go through all the steps. So there was so much fun in it, so much learning. And then now I'm making it a part of the routine. Like once a week, we'll do that. And our shape on the dough will get a little bit better. And you will have more steps in the process than me. And, you know, things like that, that before I'd say, oh, let's do that sometimes for fun. I all of a sudden am gifted with time. Mm -hmm. So how to make the best use of that time. And as far as the technology, you know, we were getting ready um, in Georgia. I'm sure you remember the comedy when we had the two inches of snow uh, back. Last week. <laughs> yeah. It was real, ladies. It was icy. It was frozen. I know you have your <laughs> other weather, but for us, it was different. We're not buying that. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I was still teaching um, this age group, and the snow started coming. And we had parents that were coming from work, and it was you know like three o'clock, four o'clock, five, and we were waiting. And um, one of my parents was passing by the middle school, and her bus was taking forever to get to me. So, anyways, long story short. I got my child to me and we ended up staying at school for 28 hours with babies, putting hair nets on, running the cafeteria, making breakfast, making, you know, dinner and then the next day um, until we could get every child home safely. But you never know that those things are going to happen. And then afterwards, my teaching changed because I said, I'm getting an air mattress for my closet. And I will have a toothbrush with me. <laughs> <laughs> these are things that you don't think of yeah. you know well maybe you know so with this I think we are ready for more teletherapy teleschool um virtual just in case there's snow so that kids are not missing calendar days nobody expected this to go on like it is so I think it's been reinvented every day um I can assure you that the teachers are working this is much more difficult. It's difficult because our hearts are a little broken. We're not with our kids mm -hmm. and who we are. That's what we do best. Relationships with our children first, relationships with our families. Um, I have been able to get to know my parents better and their 
environment and, and give them um, some support and learn about them. And they learn about me, which is, it's been a good experience. So I think that's been nice. But um, this is, you know, I think a month from now we will be better at it, but this has <laughs> definitely not been what we expected for any of us. And it's, if we can kind of take away anything out of this pandemic, what, what, what would you say would be the most critical part of what, what would be uh, the takeaway? Like, what can we do from here to improve relationships, to make mm -hmm. sure that we are offering equitable education um, to those who are unique learners? Um, you know, what, what, what can you tell us to make sure that moving forward, we're working to be really, because I think what happens is that we hear this terminology that's always being used, progressive, progressive, progressive. What does progressive really look like? Like, can we, can we talk about what are we going to do after all this? Um, what, one of the things that I am just cannot wait to get my hands on and, and talk to my principal. And it's funny because we had a conversation, he and I, um, a couple months back before all this happened about parent training. Mm. And I think, especially with, with the younger ones, with elementary school is that you really are their best teacher. The mom really are the best. You may not have the time, you may not have the confidence, you may not have um, the materials. You know, and those are things we need to address. Like if something like this happened, every family you should always have in your household mm -hmm. some construction paper, some scissors, some crayons. If you don't, let us get it to you. Let's make sure it's not an emergency thing, but just like we ask parents to send us um, supplies in the beginning of the year, what if we send supplies? What if we send home mm -hmm. full of, of crayons on the weekend or something so that you always have what you need? Um, it's, it's a, it's a bandaid here and there, but I think a lot of my parents, like, for example, I have one, I have one little student that, um, she comes to me for the morning program and then she goes to another, uh, special needs daycare in the afternoon. She rides the bus for hours a day, you know, and she's still in diapers and, and needing to be fed now that she's home and she's home with a caretaker because her parents are working, mm -hmm. um, if I remember, I cannot believe the incredible difference in her. She is, you know, she's walking now and she's feeding herself and she's talking more. And I think developmentally, even though she's three, mm -hmm. she, she needed that time. She needed to sleep a little bit more in the morning. She needed to be fed in her own house and maybe take a nap in her own house and not be on the bus for two hours a day. Um, so it's, it's funny for me to literally see the difference in her development in just a short time. And that's all I can pinpoint, you know, and the fact that they are doing, you know, reading to her and singing to her and all that kind of stuff. So I think this, as a society, this has given us a little uh, perspective of really where our priorities should be. We work all the time. We run to, to drive-throughs on the way home. We have meetings, we have sports. This has said big halt on everything, and maybe we can take a little bit of this and keep it. Yeah. You know, it's not easy, but I think this is one of the silver linings that we've learned that um, it's okay to learn from home. It's okay to go outside and look for bugs in the grass. Mm -hmm. It's okay to read a book with mom at night. Mm -hmm. 
family movie together or play a game. These are all things that we've gotten away with and they're, they're still academic. You know, the kids are still learning. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love the fact that you're saying that out of all those things that it's making that basic connection with schools and parents and understanding not just the necessities of what schools need from parents, but also what parents and families need from schools, because we often forget that, you know, when we do that list at the beginning of the school year, the reality is there are some parents that can't bring the Clorox wipes. There are some parents who can bring the crayons, those, you know, so I love the fact that you're saying that, you know, there, there has to be an interconnection with that. Mm-hmm. It sounds like building relationships out of everything is more important because like you said, this is the time that you've been able to get to know your parents on a different level. So mm-hmm. I think that that's amazing because that's kind of like always been a big thing for me. It's always, it takes a village to raise a family, right? Absolutely. It takes a village to raise a community. And so we have to find that balance that I need you just as much as you need me. And how can we work together as a team to make sure that your my child is your child? And that is the key. Sure I love that. that. Yeah. I love that. In, in our school, you know, you always say that, you know, especially special ed teachers tend to be very protective because like your son is a runner. That can't happen. If you see a child running down the hall and you don't have a good grip on him, somebody better catch him. You know, and every, everyone in the school is accountable for that child. So they know, with, especially with my little ones, but with all the special ed, running is a very common thing. And so there's no, um, I don't touch children or hands off or you better mm-hmm. grab that baby before he goes to the door. Grab my baby, please. You're the lawyer. It's like, I'll, I'll call a couple of friends that are lawyers. If we get into a problems, why you yank that child back in the yeah. building, but save his life. Save yeah. his life. That, that's, that's priority for me. Please save my baby. And you mm-hmm. know, that kind of to you and moving to you is, you know, you're running for state rep. Super awesome. And I love the fact that we are bringing some form of representation to the table of families who have special needs because I'm looking at the thread, I'm looking at the phone and I'm seeing that there's a lot of parents, Rachel Watson, who's also an autism sprinter um, ambassador is saying that us as parents don't know our value, that we think that we can't do what the teachers do at home and that we're not experts. That's not necessarily true. I think that- You are the experts. You absolutely are. You know your child. You know, MD behind our names or the LS, you know, the licenses after our last names, but we are, we birthed these little people, right? We are, we've been certified, you know, we've been certified here. As soon as our child comes to this world, we've been certified a doctor, a nurse, (laughs) a principal, a super, we, we, we exactly in one. And so if you can tell us a little bit stuff, um, what are kind of the things that you're trying to bring to the table, um, especially kind of addressing this pandemic and how those with unique abilities have been kind of pushed to the side and we haven't really prioritized our most vulnerable people in our community. So um, I think I'm going to 
say it again. I think one is that we're going to have to give ourselves a pat on the back that we are doing what we need Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. One of the titles that um, I had to deal with today a lot was IT director. That's the new one. So that's, you know, now I have a computer science degree. I keep saying I want all these certificates when this is over of all the new <laughs> Um, But in that vein, so some of the things I think that we should start doing is, um, and I think Lenny were alluding to this too, is that we should already have Chromebooks for every kid. Right, so mm -hmm. every kid should have Chromebooks, um, not only because of a pandemic, but because it is the way that kids, you know, function these days. It's the this way- This is our world now, Absolutely. You know, Life is always going to be on these laptops or tablets or whatever form. So I think that we should start teaching these kids how to do this early on. So if something, you know, when this did happen, if we all had Chromebooks, just think about the one less thing you'd have to worry about. You would just. Mm -hmm. you know, flick a switch and everybody's where they're supposed to be. So I think that if we all have, the kids have Chromebooks and some people may worry about the kids bring them home and they don't come back. No, you bring them back and forth every day. It's something that the kids will learn, do some homework on some days. They don't have to bring them back and forth every day. You know, school can decide once a week the Chromebooks go home and then they come back um, just so we want to make sure they do their homework on Chromebooks right. um, before the kids are learning it. So I think that's something, because um, children with special needs one of the things I loved about the Chromebook is the fact that like if my, he struggles with reading, right? Um, for a lot of reasons, but being able to have, uh, put headphones on and listen to someone read to him and the words highlight is completely different than I or a teacher reading it to him. He actually is following along. So I yeah. think that that's important for us to look at how important those services are for children with um, special needs. I would also say, to your point about the parents and being, you know, more involved, maybe even like once a month or once every quarter, I don't know, just having the video, a video camera turned on in the classroom so you can observe your child yeah. and you can learn how the teacher educates or redirects your child. Because then for me, especially, it would have been like, I saw this already. I saw this three times. This is what happens when he decides to get up in middle class or he starts talking. This is how he's redirected, right? And yes. um, I think having those videos, I, what I think we need to do is move our school system into our current century and stop acting like um, it's yeah. not moving. I think a lot of it is that we're just not moving with the time. So if we mm -hmm. were to, we always have these conversations about parent engagement. Parents, we can't get, you'll hear someone say, parents won't come to the school open houses parents won't do right. this, but similar to what you said, Lynn, why don't we open it up so that parents can come? So if I, all I have to do is log in and from whatever time school opens to school closes, that one day I can see my child at any given moment, wherever my child is at, then I get to see what my kid's doing. And I know, Absolutely. and I think that if we did that, it would help parents, it would help me tremendously just to know how to educate him. Um, mm -hmm. And then he would know how to use a Chromebook better, right? Like, I think even though it's been two months, it's still new to him to have this this thing that he can walk around with, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but at the same time, I want to teach him responsibility. I want him to know, you know, when you're in class, you're in class. So again, even if he did one class for an hour in the morning, if you push, you know, it back once a quarter, um, every quarter to have a one day that the kids actually start off school later, um, and they just learn through the um, computer, it would make it easier if we go through this again. It makes it easier for a snow day, especially yeah. 
independent snow. We've had that in Massachusetts where it snowed so much, the kids are just out and out and out. Um, yeah. We just, if you had Chromebooks at home, they wouldn't lose that time. Teachers You're not missing work. school, right. Right. Yeah. Teachers wouldn't have to worry about, you know, going past a certain day. No one would have to do that. One day is fine. I'm not saying every time it snows, teachers should come up on that. But I'm yeah. saying get to, you know, day three, okay, bring, pull your Chromebooks out because we're going to do these lessons. I think that mm. would have been more helpful. So what I want to touch on, and Roxanne, hey girl, thank you for commenting. I love the fact that somebody in the Facebook, um, commenting section place that uh that family engagement does not mean parents coming into a building like it shouldn't just be it shouldn't just be when exactly. we're coming for math night literacy right. night, um or coming for like a school related you know event where most parents show up right you know i love that fact because i think that we keep missing the part of the difference between being an engaged parent and an involved parent. You can engage me. You can invite me to the school events, the school parties and all that great mm -hmm. stuff. But are you involving me in the conversation? So kind of like for me, one of the struggles that I've been having in this space is that, you know, there's one minute that I'm like, teachers need to do more. But then I think it's just when I'm in my feelings and I'm kind of struggling in my house. And it's not necessarily that I'm blaming. It's just I'm, I'm struggling internally. We're trying to figure things out, right? And so there's also the part of saying, wow, I know that they're having Zoom conferences and I know that they're having conversations about planning for the fall. What does that already look like? And when can you know certain parents like myself be invited to or given the code to Zoom to help kind of bring ideas and solutions to you know to the table we, we 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 can't just ask for parent engagement um when i think parent engagement or family engagement is kind of loosely used anyway because it's like you know there's a parents like me who i do get engaged but i also get involved and when i get involved i may ask the questions they might not be ready to answer <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. so what does that what does that look like you know well, I mean, just having the conversations with between teachers, staff and, and parents about what works, what doesn't work, you know, when do you see your child, especially when we're dealing with children with special needs and behavior, you know, so many of our kids behavior is communication and it's their frustration like they they, like you said, they just can't navigate. They can't tell you. That's why he's saying, I don't know, because right now this process is not coming to my head and I'm nervous, and so I'm going to just escape from this. You know, so figuring out what does your weekend look like? What is your, you know, your now this time, you know, what does your weekday look like? And figuring out, I mean, I can manage my child's day if that's all I had to do, you know, perfectly fine. But that would also involve going out and doing all the fun things that we can't do right now. Mm -hmm. so tell her the mall is closed and this is closed and we're not going there. She's looking at me with a blank stare, like, why would you tell me that? And I, you know, I know all the best strategies. I've watched every coronavirus social story on YouTube with her. And we've <laughs> talked about it and we've drawn germs and <laughs> we've talked about covering our face. You know, I've explained it to her, but her world has just been rocked. Mm -hmm. And I understand, and I am not giving her the information that she wants. So understanding more how our parents are dealing with they're not napping now, you know, they're, they're mm -hmm. getting your kids up on time and getting dressed. 
is brilliant. You know, I mean, I do it for myself because if I don't, I mean, I might have yoga pants on, but, <laughs> but you know, if I don't put my makeup on or, or just, you know, make up my bed and get ready for my Zoom, my uh, team conferences, we're using team, I, I feel like I'm asleep. So I'm at work. And so it helps me get my day started as well. So of course for them. I, I, I want to say for parent involvement versus engagement, I think that we would have more parent involvement if we had more parent opportunities for involvement. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that when we say we're having an open house or we're having math night, um, especially in Massachusetts, we are union heavy, which means we work different shifts. So my mm -hmm. husband, he, I don't know if you see him walking around. So he works for Eversource, a utility company up here. Um, and he works different shifts. If he had, he can't come to these things, right? So it's on me. Right. But if yeah. I didn't have flexibility in my career, we probably wouldn't make these things. And that's because like, I think my daughter's high school, hers is at seven o'clock in the morning. I don't make it to hers. I can't yeah. make it to hers because at seven o'clock, my son's getting on a bus. At 7.15, I leave to drop off another son at school. And at 8.30, I got to drop another child off. Someone else will be in another place at 8.30. So that's not a time for me to go to be involved, right? And so a lot of the times when we do these open houses or the first parent-teacher conference, we do it at times that are not realistic to the population. We need to learn how to meet people where they're at. If I work seven to three, chances are I'm never going to make it to a parent-teacher conference in the morning. If I work at the, at night, then chances are I'm not going to make it at night. So I've talked before I, when I was working at the Metropolitan Area Planning Council about how do we spread those things out for more than one day, right? Yeah. So that um, open house is not just at six o'clock on one day where, you know, a parent may just be getting off of work at five. There's no way they're making it at six after they have to go pick up other siblings. But if you did it different times of the day, then you can get more people involved. Because once you get into this, every time I walk into my kid's school, I'm like, oh, this, this is going on. That's going on, right? So I'm more mm -hmm. engaged. But I also think just using technology, text me. Yeah. If you have an idea, we're using you, it now. So, yeah. I mean, it's going if forward, it would be great. Yeah, or like even now, like we were talking, I said before, like, why don't we invite people into the classroom, right? Once a quarter, uh, whatever semester system, whatever system you're on, just so you can get a feel of what's going on. So when report cards come home and you see your child is struggling in conduct, you can see why we, you've had the opportunity. The surprises. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. You, you know, there's a way that we're making it easier because I can't leave my job to come to sit and watch what my kid's doing, but I can pull up my phone and actually look on a camera and see yeah. what my child is struggling at, if they're having a good day. And then when I get home, I always tell my children, the worst thing that happens is when someone else tells me about you. Yeah. yeah. When you get report cards, a report card is someone telling me about you. So if you're struggling and you didn't tell me, I'm not mad at the grade. I'm mad at the miscommunication, right? Or the lack exactly. of communication. Yeah. And I think for our children with special ed, they may not really get that connection, but if you watch them and they come home, one of the things I can do with Mason, which is really great, is just, so what happened? I saw this, I, you know, but you gotta, you know, it's also like that assertiveness training, positive, negative, positive, right? So you have to say, oh, I saw you, you look so good doing this. You were so mm -hmm. proactive. 
But then there was a little problem here, what happened? And when I do that work with him, he does respond because he doesn't feel like I'm in trouble. I'm trapped. I have to think about it. And he'll be honest. It could just be, it was too much because then if I see first quarter and second quarter that the same type of behavior is happening at this time, then I can communicate with the teacher. Maybe we should try something else. I've talked to him. He doesn't, he may not want to talk at school. When they get older, they start to feel a little bit more inferior because they know that they're kind of different from everyone else. So he may not want to tell his teacher, but he's going to be okay with telling me. So I yeah. just said, you know what? He struggles in this area. And because he struggles in this area, maybe we should do something else, right? Because then you're going to get that parent involvement. And it's not specific to parent night. It's not specific to math night. But I think it is a matter of let me in. And then I'll figure it out. But I th we have to open it up and we have to just move into the century. But there, there's a difference. Yeah. There's a way to do it. We just have to be creative. Like we're doing now. We're all being creative. We have to. We're forced into it now. And everybody is figuring it out one way or the other. I mean, I never used, uh, you know, target curbside. I used to see them all the time and think, why are people <laughs> so lazy? They can't even. I mean, I like going in the store. And now my world has changed. And if I make an order for for bubbles or might be, you know, an inflatable swimming pool or who knows what I need to order at, you know, one o'clock in the morning when I'm playing with my phone, my world has changed, but I certainly have been able to figure it out because it's necessary. So I want to, Stephanie hit on a lot of good things, right? And a lot of important, a lot of important um, topics. But I want to hear from you in terms of that part, right? Because you are actually a teacher. You're in the building. So you probably miss some of those events at your own child's school or like- You read my mind. Absolutely. Yeah, talk about that. I want to hear it because I feel like this conversation here and, and why we really wanted to do it is because there's like an inequity, right? And it's yeah. not just a parent's inequity. It's also our educators. Our educators are in a very weird space. And I know when I work, one of the reasons why I departed from the public school system was because I was spending so much time with other people's children that by the time I got home to mine, I was checked out. And Absolutely. I, I somewhat take a lot of accountability because what I could have been doing at home, I wasn't doing it. And not yeah. because I didn't know and not because I didn't want to, it was because I was tired. Yeah, so I wasn't giving son all the attention that he needed because my energy was already being drained somewhere else. So I decided as a mom to depart from the public school um, field. And then this is kind of when Autism Sprinter kind of birthed, um, just kind of me saying, you know what, my goal is, my child is in a sub-separate right now, and my goal is that I want to give him an inclusion, you know, an inclusion life, right? Like, what does that really look like? So I literally turned one of my bedrooms into a full-blown classroom, <laughs> like, I maxed out my credit cards, like, oh my goodness, and I, I went to town, like, I literally, I went to town, I, I did a lot of YouTubing, a lot of stuff, but I would love to hear from you in that part um, about what it feels like to be a parent of someone with a unique challenge, autism, and also working in the special education space, and how much time you miss with your own family. I mean, I have, I have three daughters, and, um, 
you know, when they were, I used to balance it by when they were little, I would teach middle school or high school. And when they were in middle school or high school, I went back to elementary school because I didn't want to be teaching the same age group and doing, you know, Dr. Seuss 24 seven or, you know, not being able to read to my children because I had done it all day long. But definitely I'm a working mom, like any other working mom. I mean, I have meetings and I was department chair and teacher of the year and blah, blah, blah. That's all great in my career. And then there was my child's, you know, I would make birthday parties and I would make an IEP. I remember my, my middle daughter who just graduated in December from Emory and is going um, pre-med and she somehow survived being the middle child. I'm so proud of her. She said, mommy, when I was 10, you missed my recorder concert. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, do you know how many recorder concerts you had? I said, I had special needs children that were runners, that were biters. I could not leave my classroom. I was self-contained. Mm -hmm. My job was from beginning to end. When I put those babies, they were my babies. I had to be responsible. And of course, there's a tremendous amount of guilt like all of us have. Because no matter what our job is, you know, we tend to put that first. And, and that's why, I mean, the first couple of weeks, I found my, I'm a very optimistic person. I try to be. And I found myself like, am I depressed? Am I having anxiety for the first time in my life? And I, you know, I'm missing my students so much. I'm missing the hands-on. Like when a three-year-old's misbehaving, you know, I can just hug them and get smiles out of them. And I can't do that over the screen. Yeah. You know, and I've got them running all around and mommy can't control them and I'm limited. So I was very frustrated, you know, when we started this. And not only that, I miss my colleagues that, you know, support. You can go out and say to your friend, hello, how's your weekend? You know, all that kind of stuff. So I think as working women or working families, we all deal with that. Um, I was saying to a colleague of mine the other day, I hope I remember this feeling that I'm having now that I keep the time you know, that I've had, I won't have the same amount of hours in the day. Mm. We've lived in this house for 27 years and we've never bought lawn chairs and sat in the backyard as much as we have in the last month. We've sat outside and had our coffee or had, you know, conversations. I'm like, why have we never done this? <laughs> yeah. No time. You know. So, and so yeah. I know that we're, it's, it's getting around that time. So I want us to start closing out, but I definitely want Lynn to start with you. And we definitely, this is about your book because it ah. is a, <laughs> to know about your the opportunity, huh? Yes, yes, yes. Right. It you is know great. I'm trying to get it right here. Okay. Can I see, see it? I'm about to see it. Yeah. See it. You know, okay. Um, it is available on Amazon and it is called Connections, A Journey of Love and Autism. I'm going to do that. And that is my Brianna when she was little with all her, um, trying not to get the light there and change it, um, her Elmo's and her rubber ducks. But this is a book that I said I would write someday when my children were older and I was retired and, you know, I would do this. And about three summers ago, I sat down and I started writing just a little journal. Basically, um, let me show you another picture of her that I keep as my motivation. I don't know if you can see it there. I guess she had the screen. Wow. But um, 
why did this happen to me? I wanted to be a special ed teacher. I was a good special ed teacher. I knew children. I, I, you know, people would call me the autism whisperer. I knew kids with behavior disorders, all of that. And then she didn't speak. My other two children were very different. So when I wrote this book, it was almost my therapy. I didn't realize it, but it was because like we talked about tonight, all these years of me just working mm-hmm. and running around to every therapy and trying to fix this. And it's exhausting, but you do not allow yourself to feel it or think about it in the moment. And when I wrote it, when I first wrote the first chapter, I, I probably cried for three days straight. You know, just like, I survived that. I did that. And I really wanted to empower other parents to say, you are the mom. You are the first teacher. You are the first therapist. Do not think that ABA is rocket therapy, rocket science, uh, rocket science. It is a therapy that you can watch. You know your child, you know how your child learns and you can modify it. It doesn't have to be exactly right. You know, they'll learn. And I wanted parents to know that your dedication to your child is gonna pay off. Live your life. You have a child with special needs, it makes it more difficult, but love your child live your life, enjoy your life. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, w- that was why. And then of course, having it um, translated with my uh, publisher into Spanish as well was, was very important to me coming from Miami. I, I knew we had a, um, a community that was very dear to my heart that I wanted to address. So um, yep, you can get it on Amazon, last pitch. <laughs> yes, I, loved it. I loved it. I Thank love the fact you. that we're able to showcase the fact that you're not just an autism mom, you're an author, you're a special (laughs) education provider, you know, teacher, you are an expert, not just in, in teaching, but you're a mom expert, you know, you're my mind. Exactly. exactly. So Steph, we're going to close out with you. I'm really excited about your um, candidacy. I am really honestly I'm really super pumped to see again, an autism parent running for state rep, because again, I kind of feel like we're one of the very few voices in the political space. Um, And that's where we kind of need a lot of the voices at, because we got to make sure that teachers like Lynn um, get all the supports that they need in the classroom to be successful. and to make sure that she is a super teacher every year, you know, like we need that. We need to make sure that we advocate for the needs of our, not just our babies, but for those that are in the front line trying to do the work when we know the bureaucracies and we can have a whole other town hall about this because we know what those bureaucracies is. And and it's like attacking a monster, you know, and you kind of feel like at one point you're beating the monster, but then it just like, it gets bigger and bigger. And you're like, oh my goodness, you know? So Steph, close out with us and let us know more about you, where we can find, you know, where we can find find you, you. website and where people can learn about you know what you what you bring into the table thank you thank you again for having me Lynn I'm gonna add like more titles because you're about to become my best friend when I'm having a <laughs> so, absolutely you know, anytime 
I'm also very jealous that I can see sunlight out your window and it's dark here in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit, it's getting dark. <laughs> it's already dark, it's been dark. I've been watching yours go down something like, we've been dark, when is she gonna get dark? I just like listening to your accent, so keep talking. <laughs> My daughter lives, I have a blended family and half of them live, the three older kids live in Georgia. So, and my family- okay. My daughter, my bi first, bi first biological child went down to Georgia to Spelman for college and never came back. So she's been down there. And now another one's going to Clark in September. So. Oh, that's awesome. I go, to, go to Georgia in August, I will come bother you. If we're out Please do, um, seriously do. Contact me, I will give you my phone number. That's perfect. I will come hang out with you. Um, so I'm Stephanie of it again. One, I want to thank you for inviting me to be on here. We had so many conversations about what's going on with our children with special needs. And again, we just have to start moving towards solutions. It's great to be on with someone who actually does this work. Um, and it's nice to hear that some of the things that I've been doing actually are working. So um, <laughs> and I'm supposed to be doing and, you know, just trying to be as positive as possible. I will say that my son is the reason why I decided to run. So right before COVID-19, I was having conversations. We found out that we were going to be in. It's supposed to be until April 27th. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how am I going to do this? I know that this change is going to rock his world. The whole yeah. house is going to be in. And I had a great friend who was talking to me through this. At one point, I said, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to be a mom and do my attorney work that I can do from home, but I don't know if I have space for this. And as time was going on, I was waiting for that plan, right? I wanted to hear um, if someone was gonna call me and tell me how I need to educate him, what I need to do to make sure that he stayed a little bit on track. And I wasn't hearing it. We just kept hearing schools not gonna be in or it's gonna be in, we're gonna move to Google Classroom. There's all these things, but they're so general and for children with special needs, they needed specific things. I needed to walk mm -hmm. them through. Mm -hmm. um, so I was talking to one of my friends and I'm, I'm venting. Um, they had actually called me, it's a community person who called and was like, I really want you to run for office. And I was like, no, I, I think I need to be a mom and do these mm -hmm. things. And we hung up and he sent me a text and just said, hashtag, I'm ready for Stephanie. And I was like, you cool. know what? I think I need to be ready for Stephanie too, because Stephanie means mom. Stephanie means attorney. Stephanie means community. Um, it means so much table. I want to make sure that our children are all our children, no matter what it, you know, their abilities are, uh, that they're being addressed at all levels. We have a new student opportunity act that passed in Massachusetts earlier this year, late last year. So we need to make sure that those programs that are specific to our children are actually going to stop being implemented despite what's going on here or what the next step is going to be for those. Um, and so I'm in it and I, you know, I want to make sure that I bring everyone with me. This is not my campaign. This is our campaign. This is for all of us who um, want to start getting ready for what next year is going to look like, whether mm -hmm. it's school year, our housing crisis is going to be another problem. You as an educator know that there's going to be a homelessness problem. Mm -hmm. um, people lost their jobs. There's so many things that are going on. And as I said, being hopes plan, you know, I'm going to hope for the best, but we have to plan for the worst. And if you really want to be involved, it's not good enough to always sit on social media and complain about it. You actually have to have actions behind who you are. Yeah. So that's why I'm running. I'm in here to make sure that Hope has an actual plan. 
And because of, and, and I'm going to need everyone. We're in this, our motto is we are better together because we are. You know, I've learned yeah. so much tonight. Um, my son was upstairs. He's now downstairs in the living room because he just got over me being on this thing. He's completely <laughs> over a lot. I mean, I can't get mad at him, right? Because no. it's too much. He's like, you're doing these Zooms all the time. I, I can't be in this room for too long. I have to come run out. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to come on to my campaign, well, arms are open. Okay, hey, I'm on it. Um, if you go, we, our website is being developed, but you can find us on Facebook. So it's at Stephanie Everett for State Rep. It should be connected, I believe, to this live. Yep. But you can find me. We need volunteers. We need donors. We need people who are going to call others in the community and just get the word out on why we need to have ourselves, not Stephanie alone, but ourselves that, uh, you know, on this ballot and really fighting for things that matter for all of our children. Um, I will say this, Lynn, I'm going to close with you because I have to say it's Teachers Appreciation Week and I want to make sure that I appreciate who you are. You all have a tough job and it's like making me teary eye. You have a tough job come September or October whenever we go back. There's kids who are in high school. There's kids who are in elementary school. You have two generations, maybe three generations of children who are Mm -hmm. impacted in some way by COVID-19 that can either be very negative or very positive. And you all are going, we've always knew that you were needed. We, we always knew that we, I'm no one without my teachers. None of us are anything without our <laughs> teachers, right? Um, but the weight that I know that's gonna come from you all to just make sure that kids that weren't really prepared to be in the grade they're currently in, that they're successful. Um, and again, like with my son, making sure that he does not have a hatred for school in second grade, just Absolutely. because the inferior, personalities are going to start showing out um, because he knows the difference. Kids who are in high school who may not have thought about dropping out of school um, and may not have had the resources during this six-month period are going to show up in September or August and feel like, I can't do this. My friends were on the internet the whole time. They were engaged. I couldn't be. I had to go to work to help support the family or I was taking care of my younger siblings. There's going to be a lot of inequities that are going to be present. And you all are going to have a very tough job trying to let those kids know it's okay that you were not here with your peers and you may have been in March. But our job is going to be able to get you there. And as a community, we're going to owe you a lot. And I hope you rely on us a lot. And any teacher who's watching this should know you're not going to go through this alone. As parents, as a community, we have your back on this because we know it's going to be very hard because we're going to lose some kids and we and there's a way that we can make sure that we don't and it's going to be all of us working together so thank you again thank you for having me and enjoy this week as much as you can send us pictures of this pizza dough because i don't know how to make it at all yeah it's it's i'm learning too but i absolutely will and thank you so much um i i saw a little um poem on Facebook the other day, a little letter to parents saying that, you know, dear parents, do not worry about your children getting behind because we have superpowers and we can't, I'm going to tear up and Mm -hmm. we, we cannot wait to get back in the classroom and get our hands on our babies that we share with you, that you allow us the responsibility of, of raising and educating for eight hours a day. And, um, I know I don't speak alone. I know that when I went into this profession at 21 years old, I didn't know what I was doing, but, <laughs> but I knew that that's where I wanted to be. And I've never, you know, I never looked back. It's, it's been more than 30 years and I still, you know, love my job and I'm not alone in that. So thank you for those lovely words. I appreciate it so much. And we also, um, 
will support you. And we, we know we need strong leaders in our world. So I'll, I'll be following you as well. Thank you. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate the parent expertise. Uh, and, you know, we couldn't have, we, this, this, I, I absolutely love this town hall. This is going to be the first of many because I definitely want to bring the dad voices to the space. We're mm -hmm. also going to do a Spanish version uh, to kind of really tackle how, you know, parents who are English language learners kind of feel around this pandemic and what it feels like to raise um, children with unique challenges during this time. Um, because we kind of know there's a lot of inequities there. Um, but, you know, I just want to tell you ladies, thank you so much for the expertise that you bring to the table. I truly respect and love the fact that you guys have been super transparent and that we've been able to have an amazing conversation and also break down the stigmas that parents and teachers have this like odd relationships and then we're off more than we're on and that's not necessarily true and I love the fact that we've been able to showcase that Lynn thank you thank you thank you I will <laughs> most certainly be purchasing your book um thank you we're excited about that and Steph girl I'm excited I'm excited <laughs> out of the cages of you know the state you know you know the town the 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 downtown you know yeah. we got to rattle those cages and so Good night, guys. I appreciate Good night. you. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Have a, Have a great week. Bye. She's a mother, she's a fighter, hard worker, she's a beast Advocating for the mothers, call it mom, book a seat Ay, Make it happen, do whatever for her family Never doubt her, got the power, this is mom, book a seat Woo!